Good morning, Shades. We're glad that you're here this day. Whether you're here in the room with us or watching online, thanks for joining us today. And hey, before we jump into the message real quick, I want us to celebrate a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, I wanted to just remind us that we are a group of people that is committed together around the mission that we want to send transformed people to influence their world for Jesus Christ. We want to help the people to live sin. And so we want to kind of gauge today, how are we doing with that before we jump into the message here? And so one of the ways that we do that is to figure out how many folks are actually going out and doing this. How many people are being sent out from this place? Well, I'm excited to let you know that since May 25th, just the last two months, We've had 275 people be sent out from this body around the globe to places like Nashville, Miami, Washington, D.C., Kentucky, Louisiana, Toronto, Canada, Guatemala, Ecuador, Africa, and Moldova, which is a pretty exciting thing. And if you know any of these people that have been on these trips, you need to ask them about what God is doing on our short-term missions trips. It's amazing to hear the stories that they're bringing back. But then right here in our own community, something else to celebrate is lives impacted right here. Just down the hill, right here next door to us is the Community Life Center. All summer long, they run a program called Kids Camp. And most of the kids that come to Kids Camp have no association with our church whatsoever, may not have any association with any church. And so it's exciting that Felicia doing and her staff and crew and others and volunteers have been pouring into these kids, pouring in the God's Word and pouring in the gospel. They've seen 25 spiritual decisions this summer. And listen to this, 16 first-time decisions for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's put our hands together and let's praise God for what He's doing in the life of our church. I want to encourage you to jump in and get involved as we live sent together. Now, we are in a series called In the Wilderness, In the Wilderness. And it got me thinking about a wilderness phenomenon. Maybe you've heard about this wilderness phenomenon as well. Is that sometimes when you get lost, physically lost in the wilderness, that you walk in circles. Have you all ever heard about that before? That you get out there, you kind of get a little disoriented, and you start walking in circles. Now, I've heard that before, and I didn't know if it was true or not. And so a few years back, there was a psychologist by the name of Jan Suman who decided that they were going to test whether or not this, in fact, happens. They got six walkers to forage through a flat, forested region of Germany, and they got three that trekked through the Sahara Desert in southern Tunisia. They put GPSs on these folks to try and figure out, does this in actuality happen? And so they tested them out, and sure enough, they found out that these folks got out in the wilderness, and they started walking in circles without ever realizing it. Why? Because the wilderness is disorienting. It's confusing. It's a place where it's really hard to get your bearings. You know, I look back, not in a physical wilderness, but I look back in my own life, even in the last few years, and I think to myself about the kind of the emotional and the spiritual and the other life circumstance wildernesses that I've experienced. And there are times of really deep confusion. Places where it's hard to get your bearings. Places where it's easy to get disoriented. And so... In those seasons, we become confused. And what do we want more than anything else? We want clarity. We want answers. We want direction. How do we get those things? Well, the results of this uh, survey or this study that Jan Suman put together also revealed something else. There was a twist. That circular walking usually befell people that didn't have a clear sight line to the sun or clear sight line to the moon. That when somebody could lift their eyes off of their surroundings and when they could get their eyes off of that to a fixed point somewhere, 
that they'd be able to, they'd be able to figure out a straight pathway forward, a way to get on the path out. Likewise, for us, sometimes, maybe instead of looking so much at our circumstances and the things that we see right around us in the wilderness, maybe sometimes we need to fix our eyes a little higher and see with clarity what God has for us, even in our wilderness seasons. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33 is where we're going to be at today. And this is one of the most confusing seasons in the entire history of Israel. Uh, They're between Egypt and the Promised Land. Uh, They've left Egypt in the rearview mirror. They've gone out across the Red Sea, and now they're at the base of this mountain, and they're trying to figure out where do we go from here. Some people are ready to go back to Egypt. Some people are ready to press forward, but they don't know where to go. Some people are just holding in place. We saw in last week's message in Exodus 32 that they had kind of lost track of Moses. He went up the mountain. They didn't know where he was. They decided they were going to make a golden calf, and maybe that golden calf would help them get out of there. And so there's just a lot of confusion. This is confusion run wild in the middle of this. And they're most likely asking questions that you and I would ask if we were in that same situation. Or maybe you and I are asking ourselves today if we find ourselves confused and in the wilderness. How did I get here in the wilderness? How, did I, how do I get out? Why am I here? Where am I going? God, I need some clarity. God, I need you to give me some answers. And so we see here in Exodus 33, God's about to give them the answers and the direction that they thought they wanted. But it's not going to come in quite the way they expected it. Exodus 33, starting off in verse 1, says this. The Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to a land which I swore to your Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. Here's the first point for us this morning, that we need more than answers. We need more than answers. You know, the the people of Israel, they thought they wanted just the answers, the clear direction out, right? So in verse 1 through 3, that's what God gives them. He says, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you to the land of the Jebusites and the Amorites and all the ites. I'm going to send you out there. By the way, I'm also going to send an angel with you so you know exactly how to get to where I'm sending you. But in verse 3, second part, he says, but I am not going to go up among you. I'm not going to go with you. My presence isn't going to travel along this pathway with you. I'm not going. Now, you would think if answers and direction are all that they needed in this circumstance and all that they needed in the wilderness, they should still be okay. They should kind of be rejoicing. They should be overjoyed. At least we got our answers. We got our direction. We know where we're supposed to go from here. But look at their response in verse 4. It says, when the people heard this, they considered it a disastrous word. They literally came into a season of mourning. And why did they find themselves there? Because they realized this. In that moment, they saw that direction without the presence of the Lord is never enough. And in our wilderness seasons, we always crave answers. We always crave direction. We always crave a destination on the other side of the wilderness, thinking that if I can just get there, that will be enough. And then I will find joy. But the call of the wilderness is never a call to a destination or to a place. It's always to a person, to God. A pastor put it this way. 
that I heard one time. Sometimes we ask, how do I get out of this? Sometimes I ask, why am I here? But maybe the better question we should be asking ourselves is, God, what do you want to teach me in this season? God, I want more of you. God, before I want direction, before I want a destination, I want more of you. How many of y'all remember when maybe you were younger, uh, maybe there was a handful of you in this room that had one of these guys right here. Do y'all remember this? The magic eight ball. You remember the magic eight ball, right? The magic eight ball was always there for you and life was simpler and the questions were a lot easier. You just shake it up and get your nice and easy answer right. So you go, magic eight ball, am I going to get a dog? Sources say no. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, Magic eight ball, am I going to get uh, braces this year? You can count on it. Okay, good, good to know on that one. But the Magic 8-Ball was never more helpful than when you had young love. Remember that? That kind of puppy dog love. You're just trying to figure it out. And you're, you know, you're, none of your friends are any help. They're just making fun of you. And you need real answers, right? So you take the Magic 8-Ball and you come up to it. Magic 8-Ball, does that girl like me? Most likely. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Magic 8-Ball, should I ask her to the movies? Outlook good. Okay, all right. Magic eight ball. Will we hold hands? Don't count on it. Okay, I can respect that. I can respect that. You get a little older and you realize this is just a plastic ball full of dirty water. Doesn't have much. It's got a lot of answers. We don't just need answers. We need more than that. We need a relationship. We need wisdom. We need God, and we need to come to him, and we find ourselves in these wilderness seasons, and we need to say to God, God, what is it that you want to teach me in this? Because I need more of you. We need more than answers. Let's pick up here in verse 4. God did want to teach the nation of Israel some things here, and we see kind of that first lesson and found here in verses 4 through 6. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on its ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. For a single moment I should go up with you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. Here's the second point for us. What keeps us from experiencing God? What keeps us... From experiencing God. See, what God wanted to do initially in saying, I'm not going to go with you, is to draw their attention to some things that were separating them from his presence. There are a couple things that he identifies in the text here. The first one found in verse 3 and verse 5. He says that they are stiff-necked. And Jacob talked a little bit about this last week's message. To be stiff-necked means that you're stubborn, untractable, not to be led. It's the idea that you're in an oxen and you're trying to plow them in one direction and they keep on arching their neck in the other direction. Or you want them to turn and they keep their head going straight that way. They're stiff-necked and not to be led. We have a tendency to be like that as well. The people of Israel wanted their own way. They didn't want to go the way that God led. And I can find myself in that same situation sometimes. But then it also talks here about ornaments. It says here in verse 4 that no one put on its ornaments, and later on, God actually commands them. So now, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Now, those ornaments is referring to jewelry. And he's saying, I want you to remove that jewelry. Now, some people think that that is just a sign of grief. 
However, many scholars believe that these ornaments that they were wearing were actually dedicated to false gods and idols. I have a tendency to think that that's probably more likely what it was, especially given the context. In Exodus chapter 32, we know they were already given to idolatry. And so what we see here is God is commanding them, hey, get rid of those false gods and those idols in your life because they were creating their own gods to worship. You know what? I don't know about you, but I can find myself worshiping things other than God sometimes too. You see, God was saying to them, I want you to strip these things out of your life. I don't want you to pursue any more fake gods. I don't want you going your own way. I want you to follow me, which means you're going to have to remove these things from yourselves. Their lives, these things were literally keeping them from experiencing the presence of God in their life. So then the question for us needs to be, what needs to go in order for us to grow in God's presence? What needs to go in order for us to grow in God's presence? Now, here's the thing. I can't tell you what that is. Like, I can't go up here, and I'm just not going to list a bunch of different sins that we might struggle with in this room. Because here's what I know. If you pray and seek God's word, the conviction of the Holy Spirit will show you with crystal clarity exactly what those things are that need to be removed in order for you to experience the power and the presence of God. Several months ago, when I kind of entered into this new role on staff, the Minister of Community Engagement, it became apparent that we were going to be at lots of community events and we needed to do giveaways, just small little gifts that we could give to people that we could hopefully help to remind them of Shades Mountain Baptist Church. And so we bought these guys right here. They're just little flashlights right there. And I was so excited about these flashlights, not just because they're flashlights, but look, it's a little miniature lantern. I mean, that is nice, right? The Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Oh, yeah, light of the world. Yeah, we got it right here, Shades Mountain Baptist Church. Get these flashlights. So the day comes, the shipment comes in. We're excited about it. They all look good. They're blue. They got the little logo on there. So we start unboxing these in my assistant, Jenny DeFore's office, and we're pulling them out. And I get the first one out, and I click it, and it's not working. Okay, so then, so then we go and pull the next one out of the box, and we click it. That one doesn't work as well. We go through a few of these things and realize that this whole box is full of duds, right? All of these flashlights don't work. And I'm thinking to myself, this is great. It's one of the first things that I do as the Minister of Community Engagement. I buy some really nice, really worthless flashlights. So I'm picturing myself at these events going, hey, would you like a nice fancy paperweight? You can put it on your desk. It's going to be really great, right? And then we discovered this, that in order for each flashlight to work, you had to twist off the back of it and inside... Every single flashlight was a little piece of paper. And as soon as you remove that piece of paper, yeah, I have a college degree. That's right, that's right. As soon as you remove that piece of paper, all of a sudden, every last one of those flashlights worked just fine. Just fine. You know what? The same thing is true in our own lives. Sometimes we have barriers to the power and the presence of God that we've allowed to creep in. Sometimes we wonder, why am I not experiencing God's presence? I'm here in the wilderness, and I'm here and I'm struggling. Why am I not feeling God? Why am I not experiencing His power? Sometimes it's because there's just sin. And sometimes those things need to be confessed, and they need to be dealt with. Now, don't mistake what I'm saying here. I'm not saying, hey, go out there and try harder and get all the sin out of your life, and then God's going to love you. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that when you discover that sin in your life, you bring it right back before the Lord and say, God, I confess this sin. I repent of it. I need your help to overcome this in the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of your word. God, I need you. And God is always faithful to help us in our sin struggles when we bring them to his feet. He's willing to help us. But we have to take the initiative 
what needs to go in order for you to grow in God's presence, what keeps us from experiencing God. Let me show you a passage of scripture that has been really, really helpful in my own life to this regard. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, O God, and know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I want you to check my mind. God, I want you to check my heart. God, I want you to check my actions. And I want you to show me, is there anything that I've done that you would consider to be sin? Grievous before you, God. Because then and only then, when you reveal these things and we deal with these things, then and only then can you lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 has always been helpful for me. What keeps us from experiencing God? These are the things that we need to deal with. This is one of the things that God wanted to teach them. But not only that, God had more he wanted to show them. Picking it up here in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. When Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch until Moses had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent. All the people would rise up, and they would worship at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And when Moses turned again into camp, his assistant Joshua, son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Here's the point, that we need to meet with God. You've heard us say that a little bit earlier in this worship service, have you not? Logan said it, we've heard it sing in some of the songs. It's printed actually inside our worship bulletin. That we need to meet with God. But for some reason, sometimes when we find ourselves in a wilderness season, we find like God is so distant, those are the times that we tend to distance ourselves from the Lord instead of running to meet with Him. And God tells us and shows us directly right here in this story that when it was time that they felt like they were not close to the Lord, that was the exact moment when Moses needed to go to the tent of meeting. That was the exact moment when the people needed to raise up in their own tents and worship the Lord because that's where they knew they would encounter Him when they ran to the Lord. It says here in verse 11 that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And what's interesting about that is that that's just a figure of speech. It didn't actually speak to him face to face. We'll see why here in just a minute. But it says that he did have a friendship with Moses, a true friendship with him. See, Moses knew what it was to be before the burning bush, and he knew what it was to reverence the Lord, and he knew what it was to sit on holy ground, but he also knew what it was to have a relationship with God. And to lean into that relationship in his time of need and his time of the wilderness. We need to meet with God, even in our most confusing wilderness seasons. And when we do, sometimes we need to actually set aside our personal agenda, seeking answers and direction, and instead just enjoy our relationship with him. Because see, when we enjoy our relationship with him, instead of just seeking out our circumstances and answers to those circumstances, that's where we find true joy, no matter what we're facing. My son, Caleb who turned seven years old today, and I know he would appreciate me saying that. Uh, Caleb is what we like to call a planner. He is a planner. He plans all the time. Uh, In fact, one day he's going to make a great administrative pastor. I mean, he is just a planner to the T. Last year, he wanted a gift for something, and we asked him why he wanted it and what it was and that kind of thing. He said, Mom and Dad, I want a calendar. 
he was six. I want a calendar. Why do you want a calendar? So that I can plan my weeks and my months and all of the things that I have going on in life. Okay, Wednesday is pizza day in the cafeteria. Good to know. I mean, like, this is what he wants. He's a planner to the T. And this shows itself a lot in our house, especially around the dinner table. I'll come home, we'll get kind of the dinner out onto the table, and we'll sit down there, and he always sits to my right, and we're going to pray. And after we pray, I promise you, right afterwards, he's going to say, okay, Dad, so what's the plan? What's the plan, Dad? What's the plan for the night, Dad? You can set your watch by it. Thank you, God, for this food. In your name, amen. Three, two, one. What's the plan, Dad? What's the plan, Dad? What are we going to do, Dad? What are you going to plan? What's the plan, Dad? He wants to know. He wants to know what are we going to do right after dinner. He wants to know if we're going to go for a walk or we're going to ride bikes. Are we going to get onto the power wheel? Are we going to play the Wii? Are we going to get in the backyard? Are we going to throw the ball? What are we going to do? When's going to be bedtime tonight, Dad? Is it going to be 15 minutes earlier or 15 minutes later? I've been really good today, Dad. I mean, all of these things, he's such a planner in his heart. And you know what I like to say to him sometimes? There is no plan, son. And he's just like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, he just riles him up. Of course, there's a plan. But you know what he wants so badly is the plan. I just say, hey, son, let's just enjoy being around the table with each other. Son, you know what I really want right now? I just want you to come sit with me. And I want to talk to you and I want you to talk to me. And I don't want to worry about what's next. I just want to enjoy this moment here. Sometimes we come to God and I think that that's probably what he wants to say to us as well. Hey, I know you've got concerns. I know you've got issues and problems. It's not that I don't want your requests. I do, but I want a relationship more. I just want you to come. I want you to sit with me. I want you to get to know me. And I want you to see my faithfulness. You ever wonder sometimes, why is it that you ask God a question or you're seeking direction in something and it seems like it's taking him forever to give you an answer on it? Maybe it's because he wants you to get to another level of relationship with him before the answer may come. God wants us to seek him in the wilderness, not just for answers, but just so that we will seek him. So we need to meet with God. And picking up here in verse 12, as the passage continues on, it says this, Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you also have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways now that I may, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. And as you're reading this here, you can almost see the, the upset and the frustration that's in Moses' voice. He's like, God, I need you to show up in this moment. But notice his motive. He says, show me now your ways that I may know you. He wants to know God. That's the purpose in all of this. And so in verse 14, flipping over here in my Bible, maybe in your Bible you didn't have to flip over, but I did. In verse 14, and he said, my presence, this is God speaking, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God says, okay, I'm going with you. I've taught you what I needed to teach you. I'm ready now. Let's go. Rather, you're ready now. Verse 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. You notice what Moses is saying. He's saying, God, I don't want to move an inch. I don't want to take a step. I don't want to move on from this wilderness season unless you're going with us, God. And in verse 16, we find out why. For, it, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? 
What he's saying is what makes us distinct is not the destination that you call us to, God, but in the fact that you go with us. Likewise, for us as Christians, we need to understand that what makes us distinct is not the destination that God calls us to, but the fact that God goes with us whenever or wherever we go. The value of the one who answers our prayers is way more important than the answers that he gives. So here's the point. Walking with God is more important than the direction that you're walking in. Walking with God is way more important than the direction that you're walking in. Uh, I'm excited this week because I'm about to head to a conference uh, over the next few days. And then on the back half of that conference, I'm going to the beach. And I'm excited about that because I love the beach. I grew up in central Florida. I grew up an hour away from the beach. Spent a lot of time there, many, many days there. I can't wait to get down to the beach, put my feet into the sand, get into the cool water, feel the sunshine on my face. I can't wait to get to the beach. But here's the real reason why I'm really excited about that. Because... The four kids that we have are going to be with the grandparents, and I am going with my wife to the beach. So if y'all think about it, pray for the grandparents of my kids that they're going to have four, seven, five, and two one-year-olds with them this next week. The value in me getting to the beach is exciting. I like the beach, that kind of thing. But what I'm really thrilled about is that my bride's going with me, the love of my life, that I get to go down I-75 with her, that I get to go and sit next to her on the beach, that she's going to be with me every step of this journey. And it wouldn't be near as fun if she wasn't. In fact, I probably wouldn't even want to go if she wasn't going with me. Because the joy is not necessarily in the destination. It's that my wife's going with me on the journey. The same thing is true for us in our relationship with God. The joy is not so much in the getting there and and experiencing what it is once we get there. The joy is in God traveling this road with us. Now, when Moses gets this response from God, and God says, I'm going with you, you would kind of expect him to say, all right, let's pack up the camp. Let's pack up the tent of meeting. Let's get on down the road and get to where God is taking us. But I want you to see his heart here in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that I have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I show mercy. You see the shift that's taken place there? It was initially when the people of Israel were coming there looking for answers within the last couple of chapters. And now they're saying, God, I just want to stay in this moment. I just want more of you. I just want you to show me your glory. But verse 20, there's a but. Watch this. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face you will not see. You see the picture here, he's saying, you're going to be on a rock, you're going to be in a cleft, with my hand in front of you, you can't see me. Because anybody would see my face, they would die. This is why I said earlier, he didn't really speak to God face to face. He had a friendship with God, a relationship with God, but he could not in actuality see God's face and live. The same thing is true for everyone else that lived in that day and age. They could not see the face of the Lord because of their sin. It would surely be their demise. So he has to be averted and can't see with full access. But here's the good news, and I'm so excited about this next part. Here's the good news for us. 
We have the opportunity through Jesus Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, to experience God in a way that Moses never could. We get to come boldly before God. We get to experience a relationship with him with no veil in front of us there before the Lord because of what Jesus has done for us. As it says to us here in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Through Jesus Christ, we get the fullness of God and full access to him through knowing Jesus. So if you know him today, if you know him today, know that you have full access. You're not on a rock. You're not on a clap. You don't have your hand put upon you. He invites you, come into my presence. Come, you have full access before me. Come before my throne. For some of us in this question, we, for some of this room, we have to ask this question though. Do you know Jesus? You can't have or experience the presence of God in your life unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to begin that. You have to meet him. You have to know him. You have to put your faith, faith in him. It has to happen at some point in your life. And for some of you in this room, you think to yourself, I know that I've never done that. Or, or maybe, Steve, I've never really genuinely done that. I want to encourage you today that today can be the day that you place your faith in Jesus. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, it begins with that understanding that God made every last person in this room, in fact, every last person on the planet, for a relationship with him. He made you and designed you to know him. But somewhere along the line, we've all had sin. Somewhere along the line, we've all disobeyed God in some way, shape, or form. And as we've done that, we've broken our relationship with God. We've created separation between us and God. The Bible tells us that if we've broken the law in even one regard, it's like we've broken the entire thing. That's created that separation. And the penalty for that sin is death. But here's the good news. Jesus Christ, because of his great love for us, because his great love for you and for me, came, lived a perfect life as God's son, died on the cross to take your penalty in your place. When he died on the cross, he died in your place, in my place. More than that, he rose from the grave three days later. And when he rose from the grave, he conquered sin and he conquered death. And he gives you now the opportunity to have that relationship with him. So that if you would call out upon him and say, Jesus, I believe these things. If you call out to him and say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I turn it all over. That God would hear you. And that he would save you. So if you're here in this room today. And that's the seat you find yourself in. You know, I need to do this. For the first time or the first time that you genuinely meant it. Then I want to invite you to do that right now. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Everybody here in the room. I want to invite you to pray this prayer silently in your own heart as I prayed aloud here on the stage. Let me just say this before we kind of get to this next part. Simply by repeating what I say doesn't make you a Christian. Simply by saying the things that this preacher guy says doesn't make you a believer in Jesus. What has to happen is that you have to place your faith in Jesus, which means you have to mean these things. Which means you actually have to place your faith in him and not just say a bunch of words. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer, but only as an expression of your heart. So if that's where you're at and you know you're ready to do that today, 
then I want you to invite these, invite you to pray these words silently in your own heart as I pray them aloud. Pray this. God, I know that I am a sinner. But I also know that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And so right now, as best I know how, I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask that you take my life. I surrender it to you. Help me to know you and grow in a relationship with you. Thank you so much for hearing my prayer today. Thank you so much for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen.